Welcome, everyone, to another exciting edition of Lyrical Persuasion, already episode four of the Lyrical Persuasion podcast. I'm your co-host, Steve Castellanovo. With me is uh, my co-host, Jason Perkins. What up, what up? And uh, we are here today. It is a great, great, great list that we are going through. If you are just joining us, we have started off this Lyrical Persuasion podcast by doing something we think is pretty unique, which is arguing about our favorite songs. Who doesn't, right? When you were little, oh, um, Iron Maiden's better than Megadeth, or, you know, or I liked um, Jody Watley better than Karen White. You know, everybody had their little arguments about their songs, about the things that they loved growing up schoolyard uh bickering back and forth to determine who was the better uh singer who's the better songwriter and all that stuff and we figured well why not just bring it into podcast form so we have the lyrical persuasion podcast this podcast is dedicated not just to the songs or the melodies of our favorite tunes but also the lyrics to our favorite tunes and the way this podcast is set up is that we will take three songs from a time frame, a genre, an album, an artist, whatever we feel like doing, and we're going to defend those three songs. And whoever can convince who each other, uh, each other that theirs is the better of the three win the podcast for today. So in other words, we persuade each other lyrically on whose lyrics are the best and that's why we call it the lyrical persuasion podcast now as we have told you in the past three episodes we decided to take a look back at the magical year of 1989 it was a very misunderstood almost lost year as far as number one hits go you know you think of years like 1968 or 1969 you think of 1974 1983 when there were movements musically or when new music was coming up to the fore to the popular uh music genre and you think wow that was a really good year in music that was a surprisingly good year in music but you don't really think of the end of decades or the end of eras having very good music i mean you know 1979 i'm sure was filled with the pina colada song or uh whatever long-haired neckbeard band was out playing instruments at that time but when jason and i were looking back on the years of uh the generations of music that we grew up on we were pleasantly surprised about the year 1989 and how many of these hits are snaking up on us uh aren't we jay oh yeah definitely like some of these songs i didn't even realize came out that early or that late depending on how you look at it so what we're doing is we are taking 20 songs from uh 20 songs at a time for each podcast and we're just going over them and picking three and I believe the tally for those of you keeping score at home is that Jay is up two to one so far. Um, no, I think you're up two to one. Actually. Am I? I don't know. Well, I'll, we'll go back and we have the archives to look at. So we'll go and, and, and look it over. But um, 
right now we're going to take the songs from 39 to 20. Here's where it gets good. You know, we've had a lot of interesting themes in the last couple of podcasts about young love, unrequited love. We had some classic artists coming in with some hits, uh, some unusual pairs. We started to see a little bit of the different genres that were considered underground to creep their way into pop music, like what would be known as alternative music and uh, hip hop. Uh, So we see a lot of interesting things going on musically in 1989, and it's all coming together. It's almost like it was going to tell the future of what music was going to become. So when we look at 39 to 20, there's a couple of things that are going to stand out, I think, to the both of us, at least in this section. I'm going to go ahead and read them all backwards uh, for everyone just to educate us all on what they are. So at number 39 on the Billboard Top 100 year-end hot singles of 1989, the New Jersey natives Bon Jovi had Born to Be My Baby. At 38 was Don't Rush Me by Taylor Dane. One of the most amazing falsetto voices in all of music, Sheriff, the Canadian metal band, came in with When I'm With You at 37. Nana Cherry came in with her Buffalo Stance at 36. Another classic rock or classic music act, one of the most well-known, beloved acts of all time, the great Cher had her amazing power ballad, If I Could Turn Back Time. Speaking of power ballads, at 34, Bad English came in with When I See You Smile. At number 33 was Wild Thing from Tone Loke. Number 32, The Eternal Flame by The Bengals. Number 31, Mike and the Mechanics, one of those super groups from different British acts. Paula Abdul had Forever Your Girl at number 30, and Martika had the hit Toy Soldiers at number 29, a song that was famously sampled by Eminem years later. One of Millie Vanilli's big hits came in at number 28 with Baby Don't Forget My Number, and another Canadian band with another power ballad, Breathe, with How Can I Fall, another pop sensation new kids on the block come back into this section at number 26 with their big hit i'll be loving you forever at number 25 madonna came back with like a prayer one of her biggest hits at number 24 this is a cover song from the great percy sledge simply red covered it and it's entitled if you don't know me by now at number 23 bon jovi comes back into the list with i'll be there for you The Swedish band Roxette hit at number 22 with Listen to Your Heart. Millie Vanilli came back on the scene at number 21 with Blame It on the Rain. And cracking the top 20, another classic rock staple who also owned the 80s. Phil Collins had his slam of a hit with Two Hearts. What do you think about that list before we get started, Jay? Um, There's a lot of them on there that I'm... Really, really excited to talk about. You know, I won't have enough time or um, effort to talk about all of them. It's a great list. It's honestly better than the last one by leaps and bounds. So hopefully I can string together some good stuff to 
keep everyone excited and educated. I'm almost willing to bet that as a as a group that we've been blocking these off as I think this might be the actual best group. Obviously, we haven't hit 19 through 1 yet, but I mean, everything lyrically, everything musically about these songs, I think might actually be the best out of all five chunks. So let's not delay at all. Let's get right into it. I'm loving this list as well as i just said and i think a lot of what's interesting about this list too is i'm going with my theme which are going to be power ballads i think my songs are going to be the most uh the most meaningful i think they're going to be the most heartfelt i think everybody's going to be in their feelings by the time they're done with this podcast so if you don't mind jay i'm gonna go ahead and just say my three all right go ahead all right cool so i am going to argue Eternal Flame by the Bangles. They came in at 32. I'm going right with the next one at 31, Mike and the Mechanics with the Living Years. And I'm going to hit that walk-off Grand Slam home run with Listen to Your Heart from Roxette at number 22. So go ahead and uh, give us your uh, songs. And if you want, you can go ahead and even start first. Um, All right. So the songs I'm going with, it looks like I'm going to go first with Madonna's Like a Prayer. Then I'm going to go with a classic staple of mine from my childhood, Blame It on the Rain by Millie Vanilli. Great, great song. And my last song, originally, this one is a toss-up because originally I was going to go with um, If You Don't Know Me By Now by Simply Red, but after last week's fiasco of the covered song conspiracy i'm going to avoid that even though blue eyed soul is still great and fantastic then i was going to go with phil collins two hearts but at the last second i decided to switch it to bon jovi's i'll be there for you so that'll be the Uh-oh. third one i'm going to argue wow wow you 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 switched it up on me you're trying to uh, you're really trying to go for blood for this this episode uh wow man all right so I think we're both pretty much picking power ballads. I think this is like the the chunk where the emotionality and the lyrics are really going to be interesting. So, I'm Jay, whenever you're ready, go ahead and fire away. All right, we'll do. Like you were saying, um, this is like 89 is full of a bunch of power ballads of some shape, form, or fashion. And the first one I'm going to go with isn't technically a power ballad because it's not by a random band it's by madonna's and it's like a prayer um i remember this song just from the video when i was watching it when i was five years old give or take eight years and i don't remember anything but fire 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 is all i remember from the whole video because like i said i was young but it made a lasting impression on me and the the chorus of the song like a prayer i'll take you there makes you think of heavenly bodies obviously that's the connotation she was going with And then it goes on and on 
when you call my name, it's like a little prayer. I'm down on my knees. And I want to take you there. And some of the lower brow people will make jokes and comments about that line, but they're not understanding that she's humbling herself in front of her suitor because she's saying, Hey, I'm down here. Come with me. Let's share the spirituality together. Let's form a bond. And like a prayer is Madonna saying love is a sacred bond and it's a religious experience that you have to share with someone. And if you make that true connection, it is almost heavenly and it is, it is graceful. It is almost as if all the angels have shone down upon you and blessed you with enough caring, loving feeling to go on and on and on. Like a prayer, great song, great emotion, and that's what I'm going for my number one. All right, wow, that's uh, something I really didn't think about before. Like, even though uh, the iconography and the religious symbolism is all there, it's all on point, and you don't even really need like the the video to to kind of point out the religious uh, uh, symbolism in it. I think. Like, wow, I think you nailed it. I think, well done. Well, I'm almost afraid to go now, but I'm not going to concede the point just yet. Um, I'm going to argue for my first song, Eternal Flame by the Bangles. And speaking of flames and fire and all that, you know, what's more spiritually uplifting than an eternal flame? If the eternal flame is love and love endures and love goes on forever, then I think that's equally is maybe even more important as the love that you were talking about in like a prayer but i don't want to digress too much i just want to get right to the lyrics now a couple of episodes ago i believe we talked about in your room the other song from the Bengals that made this list and we talked about power and owning your emotions owning the situation women being in control which is now obviously coming to light with the me too movement and and in the year of the woman 2018 2019 i think this song actually does kind of throw back to in your room a little bit i think and i'm imagining that this is the tender moment in the morning after all the partying and as we said running down on the sunset strip going to the jungle and hanging out and drinking and partying all that and then the effect the event that occurred going into her room there's always a morning after there's always a situation where it's kind of like i'm checking my watch how do i get out of here Uh, Without anybody noticing, I'll leave a nice little note on the nightstand and hopefully I have enough bus change to get home. So, but, but I think here is a brief tender moment right before somebody orders Chinese and turns on the football game. The Eternal Flame is a very sweet, emotionally honest song. 
it starts off close your eyes give me your hand darling do you feel my heart beating do you understand do you feel the same am i only dreaming is this burning an eternal flame i believe it's meant to be darling i watch you when you are sleeping you belong with me do you feel the same or am i only dreaming uh, and then, of course, part of the chorus is say my name, sun shines through the rain, a whole life so lonely and then come and ease the pain. I don't want to lose this feeling. Oh, so if we are calling back to the in your room song and the lyrics and then we have this moment after when the light does shine into the window uh, the morning after, it's a sweet, honest moment where she may have actually found her eternal flame. She may actually have found her true love and wants to know if he feels the same way. Do you feel my heart beating? I really truly am in love with you. And it wasn't just some passing fling. It wasn't just some result of an all night rager. I really kind of have an emotional connection with you right now, and I want to continue it. Um, the sun shines through the rain. Uh, my whole life, or a whole life so lonely, and then come and ease the pain. That's what he's done. He's come in. You know, she's maybe had multiple guys in her room. It's her prerogative. Sorry to borrow a phrase from Bobby Brown, but it's her life that she's living, and she's taking command of it. But at the same time, too, after all the one night stands and all the, the, the gentlemen callers that have come in to her life, has she finally found the one? I think she has. And she wrote it in these lyrics and she wrote this burning love is her eternal flame. So that's what I'm going with with my song. Um, yeah, no, you got me. I'm not even going to act like my argument held a candle to that eternal flame. Woo! So, oh boy, I don't know if it held it to to that pun though. That pun was pretty, pretty. It was pretty brutal, brutal. Wow, I'm 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 kind of shocked that that I won that one in the sense that um, I do like uh, the uh, the symbolism and the emotions of of your lyrics and how it's kind of like trying to take love to a spiritual level. But at the same time, she's also kind of trying to like compare sex to spirituality, I guess. It's a very uh, touchy subject in the past, but it is, it's a touchy subject. And like I said, with it being Madonna, everything automatically goes to sex, even though I like to say, I feel that it's not about the sex it's about the love, but you know, at the same time, the video is so on on the nose that yeah, there's not much interpretation really needed, right? So, and I mean to be fair, like there have been uh, female saints who have written about falling into like passionate love with Jesus, as if she were literally like married to Jesus, and it's not necessarily like talked about in that respect so much in church but it, it it it's true like she she wrote her her visions and her writings as if she was literally married to jesus and in love 
with Jesus. So um, it's, it's a little controversial, but it, nonetheless, it does exist. So I think maybe Madonna was pulling from that a little bit and it worked because that's a good song. But you know what? My song worked too. So I think I won that round. I'm pretty, pretty geeked about that. Okay. So we got one to one eternal flame over like a prayer. So let's move on to the second round and see what happens. So, um, uh, go ahead, uh, Jay, why don't you introduce your song? All right. So my second song is actually going to be Bon Jovi's, um, I'll be there for you. Like I said, it's my switcheroo. I'm gonna go with this one next. Um, Five words, I'll be there for you. Not the song from Friends, but the Bon Jovi one. And let's think about what this is saying. It's saying that I will be there. Like he's just saying right there, I'm here for you no matter what. The chorus is I'll be there for you. These five words, I swear for you. When you breathe, I want to be the air for you. I'll be there for you. So what he's saying is that he wants to sustain life. He wants to be the one who's there. Like, you need me. You need me. I'll be there for you. I will help you. And then he starts saying, I'll live and I'll die for you. I'll pull the sun from the sky for you. Words can't say what love can do. And that's very important because he's lying. What do you think of what he says? I'll live and I'll die for you. You can't do both. I'll pull the sun from the sky. You can't pull the sun from the sky. But his love is so strong that he believes that. And that's why the words he's saying, he can't come up with. Just like um, when in Rome with the promise, sometimes you can't get the right words out. So you have to say something that sounds crazy because love is crazy. Love is crazy. So you say things that don't make sense. Later on, you think he says, I know my hands are dirty, but I want to be your Valentine, which when you think about it, what does that have to mean with anything? What does dirty hands have to do with Valentine's? And then you think Valentine's Day is linked with flowers. And he's saying that I went and I picked these flowers myself with my own hands to give them to you. So he's saying that I love you so much that I'm not going to just go buy you flowers. I'm going to go to the flower bed and dig them up with my bare hands mm. and bring them to you. Once again, he's lying. It's crazy stuff love is doing, but that's how he feels. He feels that I will go and I will do that. And then, like he says, um, I know my hands are dirty. I want to be your Valentine. I'll be your water when you get thirsty. I mean, once again, I want to sustain you. Mm. I want to be with you. I want to help you through everything. 
the hard times. Because you can only live, was it, three days without water? But he's saying, you know what? If you're with me, that three days is enough. And I'll be there for you. And then he says, when you're drunk, I'll be your wine. Meaning, I want to be the reason that you are how you are. You're happy, I want to be the reason you're happy. If you're sad, I want to be the reason you're sad. But I want to be the reason that our love is going on, that we're living, that we're going together. And this actually winds up leading into the great Hubastank classic, The Reason, because the same thing is happening there where you're listing things like, I want to be the reason that you're doing things. And that's what Bon Jovi is talking about here. We want to be the reason. He wants to be the reason that the woman is enjoying herself and he'll be there for her. He'll help her no matter what. And that's why I'll be there for you as my pick. Wow. Another song that I thought about because I use, I uh, teach it sometimes when I'm talking about uh, hyperbole is uh, Grenade from Bruno Mars. You know, I'll catch a grenade for you. I'll put my hand on a blade for you. Uh, I'll take a bullet straight to my brain for you. Uh, so, yeah, very good uh, literary term there. Hyperbole is often used by these young troubadours, by these young songwriters to profess their love for uh, their, uh, their, the woman of their dreams. And it's, I will not lie, it is effective. It's very effective in your song that you brought up. Now, mine here is going to take a kind of a slightly offbeat subject area. It's not necessarily one that, you know, it's, it's not one of the ones that's like a love song necessarily or, or whatever. But as we've also talked about on the last couple of podcasts, some of these songs are more wistful and winsome. Some of these songs are more thinkers, so to speak, the lyrics aren't they're they're not traditionally songs that you would think about like love or giving up on a girl or 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 whatever some of these songs have a little bit of punch a little bit of meaning to them we saw it in sowing the seeds of love you've seen it in other songs that 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 are on the chart i can't think of right now but the one song that i do want to talk about is the living years by mike and the mechanics there aren't very many songs that both musically and lyrically make the hairs on my arms and the back of my neck stand up. But this is one of them. This is one of the songs that I always try to karaoke if I ever go out karaokeing and, and making a fool out of myself. But I usually like unintentionally bring the mood down. Um, not for any other reason. Just It's just such a good song that, that I just love singing it whenever I can. So this was a song by Mike of the Mechanics. And as you know, Mike of the Mechanics is uh, two-thirds Genesis and one-third Squeeze. So, um, you know, some veteran musicians whose uh, bandmates have gone on to do other things. And they came together to come up with you know one of those power groups the members are mike rutherford paul carrick paul young a cavalcade of other well-known musicians who kind of again like i said just kind of got together uh to do their thing so they came up with a really nice album it's a really good album through and through but their big hit 
the living years is the one that really gives me the the feels as the kids say so this song is basically paul carrick talking about the relationship with his father he and his father were very estranged his father never wanted him to go into music never thought it would get anywhere uh, kind of thought it was a pipe dream wanted him to like settle down and whatnot but he wanted to be a rock star and you know as, as you know paul carrick did become a successful rock star with his new wave band uh, the squeeze and he was also very successful as a solo artist uh but when he get to, got together with living years i uh, i mean with mike and the mechanics uh, i believe uh, he kind of shot into superstardom with this hit the living years and the great thing about these lyrics is is that it's again it's basic human emotion you know the struggle with not being able to reconcile with your father in before he passes away and the emotions that you feel on how to like rationalize that and turn it internally into something some people never do get over it some people turn to unfortunately some escapism like drugs or alcohol to deal with it some of them bury themselves in their work some people um, bury themselves in a hobby or they become emotionally distant with their other loved ones and fortunately for paul carrick and mike and the mechanics he was able to channel this energy into music which is of course a powerful medium every generation Come beating on your door I know that I'm a prisoner to all my father household dear I know that I'm a hostage to all his hopes and fears I just wish I could have told him in the living Every generation blames the one before and all of their frustrations come beating on your door. He already sets up with something is amiss. There is a disconnect. There is definitely a conflict between generations. I know that I'm a prisoner to all my father held so dear. I know that I'm a hostage to all his hopes and fears. I just wish I could have told him in the living years. So at this point, as an older man, uh, we'll just assume it's Paul Carrick, I guess, but the, 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 the author, the narrator of the song is wishing that he could have gone back now and told you know his father all the things he wanted to say before his father passed away. Crumpled bits of paper filled with imperfect thought. I can totally connect with these lyrics. Just waiting for the perfect opportunity or the perfect words to say to express how you feel to a loved one will very often backfire on you. And if you just say what you want to say, when you want to say it, and how you want to say it at the appropriate times, uh, is always way better than trying to mumble fumble through a an explanation or a reconciliation and then we're usually as human beings we kick ourselves for not being able to 
to just come out and say what we want to say because we're too busy trying to frame it in a more meaningful or palatable way. So uh, right there is proof that the, the narrator has been stewing over this for years and years. Then there's more back and forth. They just can't see eye to eye. They just can't uh, see each other's points of view. And I think that, you know, rock and roll is filled with all these generational things of, you know, my parents don't understand me. And that's what rock and roll is all about. But this song takes a little bit more of a deeper tack with it. I think there's more than just basic my mom and dad don't dig me type of stereotypical lyrics. I think there's something deeper here that his dad doesn't really see the passion that he has for being in a rock band. And I don't think he sees his dad really wants the best for him and really wants him to be a success in life and doesn't think that being a rock star is the pathway to it. So we open up a quarrel between the president and the past. We only sacrifice the future. It's the bitterness that lasts. So again, jeopardizing his relationship or future relationship with his father just to bring up old things. So he's now warning us. So don't yield to the fortunes. You sometimes see his fate. It may have a new perspective on a different day. And if you don't give up, you don't give in. You just may be, I'm sorry, you may just be okay. He's imploring everyone who's listening to the song, don't wait. Don't try to think of the perfect thing to say. Don't try to rehash old arguments. Don't try to be so stubborn and pigheaded that you can't be the first one to say you're sorry. Because by the time you figure out which is the one of you that's going to be the first one to say you're sorry, it's going to be too late. He then goes on to talk about how his... Uh, he wasn't there when his father passed away, which is, again, another heavy guilt-laden burden to bear on a child. But as these things happen, he goes on to say, I think I caught his spirit letter that same year. I'm sure I heard his echo in my baby's newborn tears. So the amazing part, and I'm getting chills again talking about the lyrics, but to bring it all the way back and to say, well, you know what? I'm getting a second chance at this thing that I wasn't able to repair my relationship with my father, but I got a second chance to have a great relationship with my own son. And that's what I'm going to do. So just again, it doesn't necessarily have to be about love. I'm not saying love is a like love lyrics are a bad thing, but I'm saying that the 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 sweeping arrangements and the over emotionality of the mix of the song the melody is so amazing paul carrick's voice is so good in this song but to deliver such an emotional amazing message um lyrically just blows me away too so this is why i'm going with the living years for this round i am tempted to give you this were you tempted by the fruit of another i was ah 
attempted, but the truth was discovered that this is just cats in the cradle. This is <sighs> cats in the cradle. It's how dare you? It is. It's 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 cats in the cradle from the sun's perspective. I mean, so while it is a good song and it has a like, you say you have a good point that you should mend your ways. But at the end of the day, it's I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And now I'm going to be just like my dad instead of my son grew up to be just like me. <laughs> hey, hey, no, no offense to the cats in the cradle. It's a great song. It's it's an amazing song. But uh, how dare you? You know, I'm going to have a hard time this with this one. I, I'm going to be opening up this quarrel, I think, from from now into the future. Yes, I will be sacrificing the future, the bitterness will last over this round, but I think I am going to go with, what was your song again? Uh, I'll be there. I'll, I'll be you. there for you. Yeah. I think I'm going to go with Bon Jovi on this one. I'll be there for you. Keeping love short, simple, and sweet. And, and, and at the same time, like there's no depth of where he'll go for his love. Yep. He's, and he inspired meatloaf as a matter of fact, as That's well. Right. Because as we know, Meat will do anything for love, but he, he won't do that. And also, again, inspiring Bruno Mars, inspiring Hoobastank. Yeah. Hoobastank, yeah, everyone. Bon Jovi's the inspiration. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, we'll give uh, you the point, got the point on that one. Well done. Well, well done indeed. So that brings us to the third and final round. And uh, if you don't mind, I think I'm going to take this one. All right. Go right ahead. So my final song to try to win this game today is going to be Listen to Your Heart from Roxette. And this song is going to spawn another discussion. Not not necessarily this song, but Roxette is going to spawn another discussion in the f- near future. I'm sure we're going to have an episode on greatest soundtracks. And I'm going to argue probably that the Pretty Woman soundtrack with Roxette so- hit song on there. It must have been love. It's probably going to be the greatest sound movie soundtrack of all time but i don't want to get ahead of ourselves i want to go and stick with this amazing song listen to your heart rock set again this this band uh some bands have a slow burn you know they have a pop hit and some bands are kind of like shooting stars kind of like we talked about guns and roses where they shine brightly for a little while and then they kind of fade out but they're still there you still remember how amazing that haley's comet was you and haley's comet was only about two years removed from this song so you know the rock set is just this amazing power duo from sweden Marie Fredrickson and Peter Gelsa. They weren't even that together uh, for a long, you know, they only, if you could even imagine, they formed in 1986. They had international pop hits not two years later. They were coming for it. They were coming for America. They were coming for America strong. And this song, Listen to Your Heart, like hit every note, literally, and lyrically hit every note uh, for the 1980s. Just such a good song. Listen to Your Heart is a quiet song, not in the sense of the power balladness of it. I mean, there's a lot of good chords there, but the quietness of the lyrics, I think, is really what's going to win over this round. So the song isn't the typical love song. It's... A song that 
is kind of coming from a removed perspective. Like we see a lot of songs about how it's about the person who's writing the song. That's my love song. Like my baby left me, you know, this song is a one that we don't get the perspective of like a trusted friend, like a best friend, someone who's removed from the situation in the sense that they don't know how to help their friend recover from the pain and they want to do something about it, but they really can't because they know that sometimes when you're so heartbroken, you don't really listen to advice. You know, you're just trying to be there as their friend and console them from their tragedy. And that's what this song is all about. starts off I know there's something in the wake of your smile I get a notion from the look in your eyes you built a love but that love falls apart your little piece of heaven turns to dark sometimes you wonder if this fight is worthwhile the precious moments are all lost in the tide the song starts off again as a perspective of the best friend who's looking from afar now we're not 100% sure if this best friend ever alike the gentleman that was dating her friend we don't know how involved in the relationship that she is or not. All we know is, is that the best friend is trying to console uh, the, the heartbroken girl about the relationship and, and how you thought it was going to be forever, but, but it, uh, it's, it's not to be. Well, of course, listen to your heart when he's calling for you. Listen to your heart when there's nothing else you can do. So there was some type of breakup, obviously, but you know, in sometimes you break up to make up and maybe he was trying to come back into her her life. And she's very indecisive. Do I go back with him after uh, he broke my heart originally or do I move on? Do I just, you know, keep him at a platonic level, make him friends? I don't know what I do. What's your advice? So what is Marie Fredrickson's advice? Listen to your heart. Listen to your heart when he's calling for you. Listen to your heart. There's nothing else you can do. I don't know where you're going and I don't know why, but listen to your heart before you tell him goodbye. If you love something and you set it free, if it loves you back, it'll come back to you or something like that. And I think that's the same kind of message here. If you know in your heart that this is gonna work or you want it to work, 
then go with it. Then get back with him. I can't understand why you would want to get back with him. I don't know where you're going and I don't know why, but your heart's the thing that's going to tell you whether or not you should continue seeing this, this guy. Later on in the song, the famous bridge, and there are voices that want to be heard. So much to mention, but you can't find the words. The sense of magic, the beauty that's been when love was wilder than the wind. So at some point, the her friend's relationship with this guy has been like a whirlwind. It's been so strong. It's been so uh, shaky and weird and all over the place uh, that you you know, there's magic and wonder in it, but there's also a lot of bad times or else they wouldn't have broken up. It's actually heartbreaking for the friend. It's heartbreaking for Marie Fredrickson to try to be there for her friend and understand what's going on. She doesn't want to tell her, no, don't see this guy anymore because that's may not be what her heart desires, but she's also seeing the pain that the relationship caused. So she doesn't know where she's going and she doesn't know why, but if you just listen to your heart, You'll know what to do. Listen to your heart before you tell him goodbye. Listen to your heart before you make the decision on where you want to go with the relationship and what's healthy for you. So this is a love song that's kind of a love song by proxy. And this is more of like a broken heart song that's kind of like a bestie song, a best friend song at the same time. So that's why I really dig it. Plus, this was an amazing power ballad. It was, it's was it been remade constantly. Uh, it's still a huge hit when Roxanne, Roxette tours. And yes, they still tour, by the way. Uh, they were just recently in the country doing one of those uh, I Love the 80s tours. Uh, so you can catch them. Uh, but yes, they... Uh, this is one of those songs that just tugs at your heartstrings. The um, the lyrics are emotional, and I think that's that's kind of why I really dig this song. Listen to your heart from Roxette. All right, so my last song is going to be "Blame It on the Rain" by Millie Vanilli. Now let's talk about parallelism because this is very important. Just like Roxette started off and shot up to superstardom. Within two years, Millie Vanilli started off in 1988 and in one year, shout out to Superstardom with four hits on the top 100 and a Grammy in 1990. So they're similar in that aspect. Roxette from, was it Sweden? Is that what you yeah, said? Yeah. Millie Vanilli, Germany. European came over, took over the United States with their great music. And then let's talk about the songs. We won't talk about Millie Vanilli's downfall quite yet, but let's talk about the song. Blame It On The Rain is a song about a breakup told from a friend's perspective and giving the instructions to the male of the group. So this song parallels the Roxette song actually. It starts off, you said you didn't need her. 
You told her goodbye. You sacrificed the good love for your pride. So it's saying, hey, man, you did this to yourself. You are the one who chose your fate here. This is, but now you like you let her walk away and now you don't feel the same, meaning you made a mistake. Now you realize it. So what are you going to do? And then, of course, you blame it on the rain, which when I first heard that sounded stupid. Why would you blame it on an, an inanimate object? Why are you saying the rain is at fault when you know it's your fault? Why would you? Now you wish that you should have her. The rain is a stand-in saying you can't face the fact that you messed up. So you blame it on anything else and that'll help you get through what you need to get through. It's like how Shaggy kept saying it wasn't him, even though you know it was you. But you keep telling yourself, you you tell yourself a lie so much it becomes the truth. Later on in the song, it says, uh, you told her you were sorry. So what do you do now? You can't say, oh, it's my fault. Because if you tell, if you tell yourself it's your fault, then you admitted defeat. You admitted that you did something wrong. And the object is not to admit wrongfulness. It's to get through it. It's to get by. So you have to blame something else, something that won't harm you. So once again, you blame the rain. No matter what you do, don't put the blame on you. You blame it on the rain. Yeah, yeah. You have to go out of your way to make yourself feel better. Blame it on the rain is a song about a male's ego. And the friend is telling him, hey, man, yeah, you messed up. But I can't really tell you you messed up. You can't live with the idea that you messed up. And unfortunately, it's toxic It's toxic masculinity. Blame it on the rain is a precursor to all of the toxic toxic masculinity that has taken over our world in 2018. All of the men thinking that they are entitled to having a woman back, entitled to saying, hey, it's your fault that we're breaking up. They're entitled to say, I don't need you. And blame it on the rain brought back, I mean, actually brought to the forefront that ego of yeah I didn't do it I'm not at fault you can't say it's me that's someone else it's lying to yourself to get through to make yourself look better blaming on the rain is a metaphor for lying to yourself it's a metaphor for telling yourself that you're better than everything and you did nothing wrong it's all her fault she did it it's a metaphor for what will wind up being Millie Vanilli's entire nom, um, 
their entire fame at this point. Hey, we messed up. No, it wasn't us. Um, we didn't sing the songs because we didn't think people loved us. So it was you guys who were fickle, who you guys wouldn't accept these two not-so-handsome-looking guys. That's why we did it. Blaming on the Rain is Millie Vanilli's um, confession before they actually confessed. Is a is a subtle confession. It was a hidden confession. It's all of the lies that all of the men tell themselves to get through their daily lives. All of the lies your bosses tell themselves. All of the lies your coworkers tell themselves. Your husbands, your friends, all of them. Blame it on the rain is about pushing your fault onto something else. And that's why I'm going with that as my third pick. You know, it's really easy to, like, blame inanimate objects or other things or other people for your own faults. You know, too many times we, as a society, as a world, as a culture, as a civilization, whatever you want to call us, have fallen into traps and blamed other things or other people for our mistakes whether you're blaming things on like a particular section of people, religion or a race or whatever, or gender of people, or if you're just blaming it on inanimate objects, because like you said, you can't rationalize the fact that you were the one that messed up. So you need to take the blame. No, blame it on something else. Blame it on the rain. Well, I am kind of speechless because talking about this with you before the show i was fairly confident matter of fact i was extremely confident that my songs were gonna win the day like i felt like my song lyrics were the most deep the most emotional the most the the the, the most heartfelt uh the ones that really made a difference in the world and i still stand by them i'm not going to as a matter of fact like i said the bitterness will last probably and maybe the i am sacrificing the future um, so i'm just uh, kind of maybe not when i was gonna say shocked i guess but i was very arrogant going into this section of lyrical persuasion to give up my songs i thought my songs were going to be the best but let me let me tell you a real quick story as to as as to what the outcome of today's matchup is going to be so you were talking about parallelism earlier correct that's correct so you were talking about the meteoric rise of two acts from basically from scandinavia so you had one from germany millie vanilli and you had the other one Roxette from sweden well if you take a look at the map between germany and sweden what country falls in between? Denmark. Denmark has been long known as a conflict border country. It's also been known as one that smooths things out, that is a compromised country with the Hague being there international court being there 
being kind of a, a, a neutral place to talk about differences and, and level the playing field, so to speak. So if Millie Vanilli are coming up from Germany and meeting Roxette halfway, they would both meet probably the biggest municipality, the biggest city in between the two countries would be Copenhagen, Denmark. In Copenhagen, Denmark, as you know, there are not as strict laws about certain things as you would imagine other places of the world. Uh, one of them is is cannabis. It's pretty much open season. Uh, you, as long as you're not irresponsible with it or you're openly dealing or whatever, um, you can enjoy uh, opiates, cannabis, hash, in and it's not looked on any different than drinking beer, alcohol. So when you're to when when you're conversing over that when you're meeting there for that specific purpose whatever stresses whatever worries that you have they kind of go away and you really don't think about that and you do kind of get emotional do get into your feelings so when Roxette comes down from Sweden driving into Copenhagen she's she's worried about her friends they're the they're worried about how the friend is going to manage the breakup but really when they get down there, hey, everything's chill, everything's cool. You know, I think that's great advice. I don't want to get too involved, so that's that. Now, the Millie Vanilli guys coming up, they're already stressed out because they're already worried that the jig might be up, that the world might be onto them, and then eventually they do get their Grammy stripped from them, and then tragedy befalls both Fab and Rob in different ways. Um, one of them actually unfortunately ended up committing suicide because of the whole thing the other one tried his hand at his own musical career didn't really work out as well as he thought he really couldn't recover very well um so they were very stressed out and they were very they, they just needed a, a way to relax they come to copenhagen and they're not able to shake things off as well as rocks Roxette does so they're more desperate with their lyrics. They're more meaningful for their lyrics. They really are pulling for their lyrics. And uh, again, with the confession, that's not a confession, blaming it on the rain. I think the more powerful lyrics of between the two songs definitely go to Blame It on the Rain by Millie Vanilli. And therefore, Jay, you win the day. Yay. I don't know where the congratulations button is, but if there was one, I would be definitely pressing it right now. So um, do you have any uh, comments on, on the victory, on on how you were able to uh, uh, put the lyrics together for us? Um, I, honestly, I went in just thinking about the song as a sappy love song at first, and when I first remember hearing it because it was so catchy and you know the catchiest songs are always the ones that hide the worst um feelings the worst dark meanings and then when i thought about it it was like i said it's a song about a guy telling his friend to pretty much blame other people for your transactions and it just went from there it was like i said i even started off arguing that it was a love song with good advice until i said it's not good advice it's terrible advice but it's the advice that we as a society are used to taking because 
that's what we've been taught from our fathers who didn't let us get stuff and then told us that we back to one day to help us and then silver spoons and stuff. Right. I got yeah exactly that was a great show by the way so my um so my question and I guess we'll we'll talk about it it's the elephant in the room and I want to know what you think if it affects their lyrics or not so as you as we we talked about uh at some point Millie Vanilli was nominated and did win a Grammy for I don't know if it was specifically for Blame It on the Rain or if it was Best New Artist. It was or Best whatever. New Artist. Okay, so it was Best New Artist. So they're riding high off of that. And then all of a sudden, the uh, infamous uh, session tapes come out. I don't know. Was it the singer himself or was it his singer's agent? I don't understand um, the, 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 the whole story behind it. But somehow, the lyrics or the song uh, tracks got leaked. Um, I can't remember exactly. I could look it up. I do remember that it started when they were on MTV at a concert, and "Girl, You Know It's True" started skipping. And I remember watching the video because Ooh. I think Rob, like they're, they're saying, "Girl, you know it, girl, you know it," and Rob is still singing, and Fab runs off the stage, and they fix the track, and then they come back out. I. B- vaguely remember that. Yep, and it was one of those things where, like, the people who were there didn't notice it, but people watching at home did. And from there, it was then a combination of their broken English when they gave interviews versus their great English when they sung. It's like it's mm. not accents; it's the actual um, use of the language. That was another strike against them, and then finally they just they had no choice but to come out and say, "Hey, um, yeah, we didn't really sing these songs." So, so if you're the studio musician, like, what do you do? Like, what do you say? Do you just go home and sleep on your big pile of money that you got from the record studio, and just kind of? deal with it as like hey it was a job i got paid my family's fed and my mortgage is paid for or do you really go like yeah that's my song because i sang it i mean i don't know like i mean because you say if you you have the song you are the singer you should take advantage of it and it was funny because back when it was when it broke and the situation broke and they were like oh here are these guys. They're not that great looking. They they kind of fizzled out. But on um, there was a show called Townsend TV with Robert Townsend, great comedian, who did an actual cover or a, um an episode about the Millie Vanilli thing. It was called um Brothers with Voices. And what happened was there were two guys who were doing great, but then they found out that the real singers were. Um, I, if I remember correctly, one was a goblin and one was a, hump, a hunchback. I can't remember exactly. It's been years wow. since I saw it. But the way they did it was then they let them just come out and sing their songs themselves, which is the way it should have happened in real life. They just said, you know what? We are, our names are brothers with voices, but we are actually brothers without voices. Here are your real singers, the Hunchback and the Goblin. They came out, they sung, 
And then they just transferred the fame along with them because they recognized the talent, not just the look, which shows that we need to focus more on what's inside and the um, superficiality of the outside. And I think that definitely came home to roost because not soon after, we're around 1991, 92, Come On, Let's Sweat or the Rhythm's not rhythm's gonna move you. That was Miami Sound Machine, but uh, the the CNC Music Factory song came out. The video was slick and well produced, and there Cole and Kavilas were rapping, and it was great. And then they would cut to a knockout, like beautiful model, and she would lip read the song, you know, or the lyrics along with the song, and everybody thought, well, they just got this really super hot uh, singer to sing the bridge or the chorus of the, of the track and then all that, you know, produced it in and made it an amazing hit for them until Martha Washington from the famous Weather Girls along with uh, Patti LaBelle and I forget the third woman in the trio. Oh, uh, Martha Washington was actually the one who laid the track of the song... Um, is the CNC Music Factory song? Yeah, I can't I'm gonna it. make you sweat. Yeah, gonna make you sweat. She was the one singing "Gonna Make You Sweat, Baby." Did that hook uh, that that really made that song go? And and when it started coming out, that yes, she did sing the lyric, but because she's older, you know, heavy set, they didn't want the perception out there that she was the one that sang it. They wanted a young, hot model you know perception to be out there and then again you know with the that kind of awful like repeated theme too of uh of the band heart having huge hits in the 80s how the videos were more focused on uh Anne and not nancy wilson singing to the point where people actually thought ann wilson was also the lead singer and not just the lead guitarist so yeah, I could get where people will start waking up to the fact that, you know, these highly produced videos are there to try to put forth an image and not necessarily put forth like the truth or quality or whatever. And uh, Martha Washington actually ended up winning a lawsuit against the record company and CNC Music Factory, and she won a ton of money. So the very next video uh, of the what the Free Your Soul video uh, they did try to find a skinny, you know, good-looking woman to do that, so, so they could say, "Hey, we 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 actually really do have the same the same girl that you're hearing singing on the track is actually the girl that you see in the video this time." So that was a big deal in the in the in the late '80s, early '90s. I don't know if lip-syncing detracts from the lyrics, because let's be honest. Probably 70% of the artists out today don't write their own lyrics. They probably, write, I mean, even Drake has a go, had ghost writers. You know, everybody has people that write the lyrics for them. So I don't know if I necessarily want to kill a band for singing lyrics that they didn't write. Just the perpetuation of the lie, I think, was more annoying than anything else. Yeah, I think that's what it is, is, there, is the fact that they were saying this is us singing at any time whereas 
nowadays, like a lot of people do lip sync on stage, but they're lip syncing to their own tracks because yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, and that's the, the thing is the difference: lip syncing to your own track versus lip syncing to someone else's and claiming that it is you. I mean, even with auto tune, and you can change your voice and whatnot and make it sound better. Now, it's still your voice; it's your track. You're not using someone else's. You're not using like a, you're not being a meat puppet for the most part. And that's the thing. And then I think even the real Millie Vanilli, the actual singers, wound up making it kind of decent when they went back home to Germany. They released their own album as themselves, and they had three hits, one that got into the top ten in Germany. But, you know, yeah. but in America they were pretty much done for. But it's, like I said, it's the idea of lip-syncing someone else's stuff versus your own stuff is the problem. Your voice, yeah, fine, you earn that because stage shows are hard. Someone else's voice, not so much. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, people get on uh, like Britney Spears or NSYNC or whatever, but people don't realize that, or Mariah Carey or whomever, but people don't realize that if they sing 20 songs in a concert and 10 of them are lip sync, that's because more than likely eight of those 10 songs they're dancing to, you know, or they're doing something on stage with a crazy stage show. Like Britney Spears gets banged on a lot because uh, she's been lip syncing a lot of her songs lately, but she was a highly produced pop princess of the 2000s, of the aughts. And like I said, she also dances. She has choreography. She has all this stuff going on that she's working her butt off on stage for. She can only catch a breath for about half the songs anyway. So I don't know what we're getting on when we get on people, performers who lip sync almost the entire uh, concert. Do what they do first, then you have the right to criticize. So, all right. Well, we are coming to the end of episode four of the Lyrical Persuasion podcast. Uh, it's been just an amazing journey so far. Uh, what do you think of, uh, of, of your lyrics and, or your songs in general, my songs in general, just kind of like a, like a little final statement on it or anything? You think we wrapped a bow on it pretty well? I think so. I mean, like I said, these were, these 20 songs were all strong. Um, some stronger than others. There were some that I really wanted to talk about, but when it came down to it, like two two hearts. I love it. I love the video. I love the song. Um, but I couldn't get a good connection with the lyrics. Uh, Wild Thing, another classic by Tone Loke, but I did one Tone Loke. Uh, once you do one, you don't have to do the other one because there were only two. <laughs> right, right. You've you've already got the uh, winning curve, the, the 50-50 uh, going 500 winning curve there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I don't know looking ahead from 19 to 1. I know this sounds weird. I don't know if we're going to get a great lyrical battle per se. We're really going to try though cuz that's what we are, lyrical persuasion. But I think overall uh that section that we talked about 39 to 20, I think was a killer lyrical section. I don't think you really go wrong with any of those songs and we have the songs posted uh the list 
is posted on the Lyrical Persuasion Facebook page. If you want to go there, it's just all one word phonetically. You guys know, hopefully know how to spell Lyrical Persuasion Show. We also have our Twitter handle is up. Same thing, Lyrical Persuasion. So we're easy to find on the social medias. Please like, share, subscribe, and comment on what you think as far as who won, who's been winning the past couple episodes, what songs you'd like to talk about or what songs you really enjoyed on this list. Maybe what we'll do is after we go through 20 to 1, maybe we'll come back and do like a recap of the entire year. Maybe we'll take a couple of suggestions from uh, people listening to the show. So who knows what we're going to do. But uh, right now, we're just going to still appreciate the lost year of 1989 of Billboard's top 100 singles uh we are having a blast can't believe it's already episode four next time where we're going to go straight from number 19 to number one and pop princesses rule the day the theme of next episode is pop princesses definitely rule the day got some sneaky older acts coming in with some hits but really, if, if they're chewing bubblegum and dancing in a mall, they had a hit in 1989. Thanks for joining us on the Lyrical Persuasion podcast. That was co-host Jason Perkins. I am Steve Castellanovo. And remember, as always, Lyrical Persuasion, it's more than just the music. Thanks a lot. song clips used on the Lyrical Persuasion podcast are not intended for commercial redistribution and fall within the guidelines of commentary and criticism as stated in the fair use principle of copyright law.